Good evening. You can turn to James chapter 5. We're coming to uh, the close of James. We won't finish tonight. We'll finish uh, next time. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 5 tonight. Uh, I'm sure many of you had the experience of receiving uh, correspondence from somebody who's going on a mission trip, and they're Those letters typically have something in common. They all request prayer, and they all request financial support. And when I receive uh, one of those emails, uh, there are two ways that I might typically respond. Uh, One, I might say, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, I just don't have the money to give right now. Unfortunately, all I can do is pray. The problem with that attitude is I'm undermining the power of prayer. I have elevated giving, what, essentially thinking what I can do, above what God can actually do. But I might also respond by being able to give. Maybe, you know, I'm blessed financially, I give. And in that case, I might give, um, and then I might think, I've done all I need to do. I might pat myself on the back and think, I've done a great thing. And, of course, it's good to give uh, to support missions. But, again, in that situation, I've elevated giving above prayer. What's easier to do, to write a check or to labor diligently in prayer for somebody in need? Do we really believe prayer is the most important thing? Do we really believe that prayer is powerful. Whether we believe that or not is indicated by our prayer lives. Your prayer life is an indicator of what you really believe about prayer. And in this passage tonight, in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, God is teaching us that prayer is vital for the health of the body. I don't mean the health of this body. I mean the health of this body here. Like much of the book of James, there are some aspects of this text that are quite challenging. Uh, There are no shortage of interpretations on what James is instructing us to do. However, it is absolutely clear that James is instructing us to pray. In these six verses, uh, reference to prayer is made seven times. Uh, Three of those times, it's used as a command, as an imperative. God has made it clear he has not left us to fight our struggles on our own. He urges us to come to him in prayer. He is eager for you to bear your burdens before him. And he has also given us a church family to come alongside us and encourage us and to help us by praying with us. So let's pray before we look into this passage further. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And Father, our confidence is in the power of your living word to change us. It is not my words that have any power. Yet I do pray that you would help me to communicate the message of the text clearly. And though there are some difficulties in this text, I pray we would not be focused 
on the things that we don't understand, but on the things that are quite clear. That, Father, you are a God who hears prayer and answers prayer, and you work powerfully through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll go ahead and read our passage tonight, beginning in verse 13 of James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The first exhortation we see here from James is that we should pray when we are suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? James began his letter back in chapter 1 by encouraging us to pray in trials. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And now he closes the letter similarly. So as James really sandwiches his book with prayer, opening a prayer and closing, we see that this is a major emphasis for James. So here in verse 15, he says, is anyone suffering? Uh, This is really a general word for distress. Uh, It can refer to persecution, physical suffering, hardship. Uh, Paul uses this word to describe what life was like in prison, that he was suffering. So whatever the trial or difficulty we are facing, we should pray. Because God is able to deliver us from our suffering but he's also able to supply the grace we need to endure suffering. And that's really the heart of much of the letter of James, that when we come to various trials, we count it all joy, because we know that God is working through that. Now, in a sense, what James is commanding seems kind of obvious, right? If you're in trouble, well, why wouldn't you go to God, who's the all-powerful God, who loves you, who wants to help you? Um, but we still have trouble doing the obvious, right? When we are struggling, when we're sick, when we're hurting, sometimes we can blame God rather than thank God. In fact, in chapter 1, James says in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he tempts no one. Now the word tempt there is also the same word that means trial. And so when we face a trial, a difficult situation, we are tempted to forget God or to blame God for what we're going through. That's what James says here. He says, don't let anybody think that way. So when we are suffering, rather than blame God, we need to turn to God. God is urging us to come to him when we are in trouble, and he's eager to help us. But we also not only need to pray when we're suffering, we need to pray when we are strong. Now, I realize it says here, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So 
um, really, singing is a form of prayer, right? In many ways, it's a subset. You know, some people pray with the acrostic, right? Acts, adoration, confession. Okay, we often pray prayers of adoration. Um, the book of Psalms, it's a book of songs, but it's a book of prayer as well, primarily about adoration. Now, there, there's many other things. So he says here, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. When things are going well, the implication here is that circumstances are favorable. We should also praise God in these circumstances. Now, again, this seems like this should be the obvious response, right? If things are going well, who is the one we have to be thankful to? God is the one who gives us every good and perfect gift. But again, when we are... When things are going well, we may have the tendency to forget God. So we need to remember that God is the one who gives us cause to be cheerful. And we also see that we need to pray when we are weak. We see this in verses 14 and 15. So, so far we've seen when we're suffering, we should pray. When we're happy, when things are going well, we should pray. But now he gives us instruction for when we are sick. Prayer again is the response, but he also encourages us to go beyond prayer, and that is to go to our church leaders and to our church family. God has provided others to help us in our time of weakness. Now, there's a lot to unpack in verses 14 and 15. He begins here asking the question, is anyone sick? So to understand what's going on here, first we must understand what is meant by sick. So this word for sick um, can be more generically translated as weak. Uh, It is used to refer to both physical weakness and spiritual weakness uh, throughout the New Testament. So what does James have in mind here? I believe that there are several clues in the text that James is focused primarily on spiritual weakness. So we're going to take a look at those indicators in the text that point us toward uh, this understanding. And the first one is the words that are used for sick in this passage. As I mentioned, the one in verse 14 could mean physical or spiritual. Uh, but the, verse, excuse me, the word in verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Uh, that word for sick is a different word. Uh, it's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Hebrews 12, 3 and 4. Well, it's only used in one of those verses. It's used in verse 3, but I'm going to refer to both verses 3 and 4 for context. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4 reads, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not, and here's the word for sick, grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This passage in Hebrews is written to encourage us not to become weary in our struggle against sin. And James uses that same word, to grow weary or to be sick here. That is is the result of the prayer of faith, is it will save the one who is weary, the one who is struggling, the one who is battling sin. And then James ties this to sin. He says, if anyone has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So I believe this is not talking primarily about somebody with a physical ailment, but somebody who is struggling with sin. Now, it's possible that, at times, 
um, sin can manifest itself in physical ailments. There may be some physical things going on here in James, but I do believe the, the primary thing that James is talking about here is sin. The second indicator, I think, here that points to a spiritual issue relates to the role of elders. Now, we've been talking about elders uh, quite a bit in our morning messages. Um, and one thing to note in this passage, we won't spend a lot of time here, but a plurality of elders is assumed here. Uh, the assumption here is that this person is, belongs to a church, and they're going to call for the elders of the church. And also know that the person here who is struggling, they are the ones that need to initiate this. They are the ones to call upon the elders. It's not the elders' responsibility to look around and find out who's struggling. That's part of their responsibility, sure. But in this case, it's a responsibility of the person as well. They need to be calling upon the elders. So, as we've looked at the responsibilities uh, of elders, certainly prayer is one of those. We see that in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. But there's nothing particularly about elders having a gift or praying for healing. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen though, does tell us that elders, church leaders, are given to watch over our souls. So as we've been studying, the primary responsibility of elders is the spiritual care, the spiritual well-being of the flock. If this was primarily for physical healing, uh, we might expect James to say, you know, call upon somebody with the gift of healing uh, to exercise this prayer of faith, whatever that is. We'll get to that. Um, Now, I'm sure our pastors would be happy to pray for you if you were sick. Uh, (laughs) We're certainly not excluding prayer for, for somebody who's sick, but... We're focused tonight on what James is primarily emphasizing in this passage. And I do think that the next thing that we look at here, the prayer of faith, is an indicator that he's talking about spiritual weakness rather than physical illness. So verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, this verse has led to a lot of confusion uh, for people. It almost seems like James is making a promise here. Uh, you do this prayer of faith, and God guarantees healing. Uh, well, there are problems, of course, with that understanding. Right? What happens when the person for whom we pray is not healed? And we know that that happens regularly. Uh, do we say, well, somebody just didn't have enough faith, and that's why they weren't healed? Was it the faith of the elders? Was it the faith of the person? That's a lot of guilt to bear. You know, if you're praying for somebody and they don't they don't get healed from a very difficult illness, um, that would be a very difficult burden to bear. And I don't think that's what what James is is saying here uh, at all. Also, if we if we say, well, maybe it wasn't the problem that they lacked faith. Maybe then we say, well. It's not faithful to his promises. Maybe God didn't hear. Maybe God didn't care. Maybe God wasn't able. It reflects on the character of God if it doesn't come true. And there are, there are people who have prayed to God. Their prayers haven't been fulfilled. And there's bitterness that, that, that seeps in there. So James is not telling us, if you pray this prayer of faith just right, then God is guaranteeing some kind of healing. Now, some think this prayer is a special gift that God gives to elders there are just some maybe special circumstances where elders just are, are given this prayer of faith where they just know that healing is going to occur. 
Um, but this really doesn't, isn't consistent with the idea of faith and prayer within Scripture. Um, we have faith and we pray for what God has already promised. We don't have presumptuous faith that God is going to bring out a specific outcome unless he's already promised us that in his word. Now, we should have faith that God is absolutely able to heal. There is no doubt whatever physical problem you are going through or a loved one is going through, God can heal. There's no question about God's ability. But that is far different than saying that God absolutely will heal. We have no insight into what God is going to do in a particular situation. So we cannot pray with certainty that God is going to heal physically. But we can pray with certainty that God will forgive sin. We are certain it is God's will for us to get victory over sin. So we know, for example, from 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Or Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Further, I don't think we have to speculate on what James means by the prayer of faith. I believe James has already defined us for us in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. James 1, 5 and 6, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The prayer of faith is believing that God will do what he has promised. In this case, James points to the promise that God will give wisdom, and specifically here he's talking about in the time of trial. He says, pray, God will give wisdom to those who ask in faith without doubting. So we can ask in faith for what God has promised. God has promised that he wants us to overcome sin. He has promised to encourage us. He has promised forgiveness. He has promised grace. He does not promise health and wealth. He does not promise specific outcomes. So we cannot pray with faith that God is going to do those certain things. Now, the last indicator we'll look at, I think we can look at more, that this is focused on spiritual weakness, is the context. Uh, we've already looked at a couple different parts of James, but the emphasis on James as a whole is enduring trial, not necessarily escaping trial. Uh, in verse 11, James refers back to Job as an example of someone who endured hardship and endured suffering. And he says, look at the steadfastness of Job. James is encouraging us to endure throughout this. In verse 19, uh, he talks about bringing back a sinner who is wandering. Uh, again, James, the, 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 the context here is all around sin. It's, we're praying for one another. We're confessing sin to one another. We're, we're bringing somebody back from sin. So James is dealing with primarily a spiritual concern here. Now, by emphasizing this passage is focused on spiritual healing, does this diminish or limit what God can do? No, absolutely not. As I mentioned, God certainly can, and he does bring healing. I'm sure we can share testimonies of someone God has healed miraculously and amazingly. God is all-powerful. But is it disappointing 
that this passage isn't referring to physical healing and only spiritual healing? Right? I say only, but are we more impressed if God can heal somebody physically than if God can heal somebody who's spiritually broken, discouraged, hurting, stuck in sin? We need to be reminded that our greatest need is not physical. Our greatest need is for spiritual healing. Our greatest need is to overcome sin. And that's what James is exhorting us to pray for specifically here. Now, I don't have time to elaborate on every detail of this passage. Uh, I've had to kind of gloss over some of the things here. I'm really trying to to convey the overall message of this text. Um, I do have to address this, I'll just address briefly this anointing with oil. And, and there are some things in this passage that do seem to indicate, you know, maybe there, there is sickness involved, kind of praying over, and, and what is, what's, what's with this oil? Um, really, the, the purpose of the oil is, is not clear to me. There's no really corroborating passages. Um, some think of it that it may be medicinal. Um, I, I don't see James' primary concern as a physical issue here. Um, most commentators really conclude that this is probably some kind of a symbolic gesture uh, consecrating the person and really symbolic of the Holy Spirit working in this person um, to, bring, to bring about the outcome here. Uh, there's certainly nothing magical in, in applying um, oil here. So we see not only does God give us church leaders to help us in our time of need, um, he also gives us a church family to help us in our time of need. Nobody here should ever have to struggle alone. God has provided a community of believers around you. But as we saw earlier, just as it's up to you to call for the elders in your time of need, it's up to you to reach out to other people here. We, we can't know necessarily if you're hurting. And that can be difficult because he says, confess your sins. We have to humble ourselves. We have to reveal our weaknesses and be vulnerable with other ones. Say, I'm struggling in this area and I need your help. I need you to be praying with me and praying for me. So what is the purpose of confessing our sins to one another? In verse 16, is that we would know how to pray for each other in order that we may be healed. Again, just like we looked at the words sick, these are broad terms. So when we talk about healing, uh, this can refer to a physical healing, but it often refers to spiritual healing, forgiveness of sin. For example, 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then he quotes from Isaiah 53. By his wounds you have been healed. Okay. He's not talking about that we have been physically healed. He's talking spiritually. What does healing look like in 1 Peter 2.24? It means dying to sin and living righteously. That's the kind of healing we are looking for when we are confessing our sins one to another. Uh, just one other passage, Hebrews 12. We looked at the word there earlier in, in chapter 12 for sick or weary, as it's translated in Hebrews. But then it goes on later in verse 13. He uses the word healed 
to describe what God does through discipline. Hebrews 12 is all about God using discipline to correct us, to deal with the sin that is in our life. And he describes that process of God disciplining us as healing. So healing is used to heal us spiritually, to overcome sin. And the purpose of confessing our sins to one another, it's not like we're going to a priest. It's not the intention to catalog our sins with one another. It is so that we can ask for help with sins that we're struggling with. And we're asking that person to partner with us in prayer because we want victory over these sins. Now, at the end of verse 16, he provides this great encouragement. He says, our prayers are not in vain. They are effective. The prayer of a righteous person is effective. Now, the righteous person is not a special category of Christian. All Christians are declared righteous in Christ. But it is the Christian who is living righteously. James does warn that sometimes we have not because we ask not, because we ask amiss amiss, uh, for our own selves. So the, the, the righteous person is asking for prayer, not that we can gain more, but that we can give glory to God more. And then he points us to the example of Elijah, which uh, this is fascinating. I wish we had more time to, to, to dig into this. But at first, we might think, well, Elijah, how is that an encouragement? Wasn't Elijah this great prophet who performed these amazing miracles, raised people from the dead? Well, it is true. He did that, but James points this out. He says he was a man with a nature like us. Elijah was not great in and of himself. Elijah did great things because he had a great God. Now, uh, James refers back to really an incident that occurs in 1 Kings 17 and 18. So this passage begins, very quick summary. Uh, Elijah goes to Ahab and basically says, it's not going to rain uh, unless I say so. Um, and really, this is because Ahab and Israel, uh, they were rebelling against the Lord. This was really a form of punishment. The whole purpose of this is so that Israel would repent. It's really dealing with a sin problem for the nation of Israel. So then in First uh, Kings 18, God tells Elijah that it is going to, that he is going to send rain. But then we go on, and we have the event on Mount Carmel, where Elijah calls down fire from heaven, and it burns up the sacrifices and so forth. Um, we don't actually hear the prayer of Elijah. It's implied that Elijah prays. It says he goes off, and he bows his head uh, in his knees, and then the rain does come. But what's interesting there is we don't, we don't actually hear Elijah's prayer, but Elijah does not pray presumptuously in that con- situation. God has actually promised that the rain is going to come, and Elijah is just praying that, what, that God will do what he said he would do. So just like here, what we see in James, we are, when we pray in faith, we're praying that God will fulfill his promises. It's also interesting, uh, in uh, 1 Kings 17 and 18, Elijah actually does heal somebody. There's the widow's son, and Elijah prays, and this son is raised from the dead. Now, we would think if James wanted to drive home the point that God heals physically, he would point to that prayer of Elijah that raised this young boy from the dead. But instead, he points to the prayer of rain starting and stopping. Now, 
the point James is making is that although Elijah was a great prophet, he is like us. In fact, if we read on to chapter 19, uh, Elijah becomes incredibly discouraged. And he, says, he goes off and says he just prays that he would, he would die. Because Jezebel is seeking after his life. And God comes alongside, and this is where we, we have this passage where we talk about the whisper or the still small voice of God. God encourages Elijah, and he reminds Elijah, you're not alone. I have a remnant here. He comforts Elijah with, these, with himself and with these others. So the miracles that Elijah did were not a testimony, again, of his greatness, but it was of God's greatness. And we pray to and we serve the same God that Elijah did, who was able to do great things, who was able to fulfill his promises. So like Elijah, uh, we can pray to God. Not that we get what we want, but as we prayed this morning, we, pray, we sang, excuse me, your will be done. That is what we are praying for, for God's will to be done. There is no need for us to struggle. God invites you to come to him in your time of need. He's provided a church family so that we all may grow in maturity together. Now, there are more needs in this church. There's more needs in the world. We hear, you know, a video from what's going on in France, and sometimes we might feel overwhelmed. There's, there's so much I could be doing. You know, we can't, we can't do it all. We don't have to feel guilty that we can't do it all. It's okay. Maybe we have physical limitations. We think, I can't just do what I used to do. But we should never say, I'm sorry, all I can do is pray. We must think we absolutely must pray. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can come boldly before your throne of grace to find mercy and grace in our time of need. We thank you for your word, which encourages us to pray. We thank you that you are faithful to your promises. And Lord, I thank you that in our time of greatest need and struggle, you hear us and that you've given us a church family to come alongside us. So Father, tonight as we've heard these words, I pray that we would not be hearers only, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen.